0: If we have not met, I'm Pastor Mike And Recently, we took 63 people from our church family to the Holy Land. We spent about a week there uh, going all kinds of places, Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem, Nazareth, Capernaum. We really enjoyed seeing all that. And we, and we call that a pilgrimage. We went together for that purpose. And we brought that back to you that we can go together Uh, with the videos and images and Bible verses that connect with those, the story of Jesus, to the Holy Land together. And so we're doing that. You'll be seeing and have seen, many of you, uh, some of those pictures, some of those videos. We continue to do that. Our way of celebrating the Lenten season, moving toward uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, celebration of Jesus Christ. And today we look specifically at Jesus at the Mount of Beatitudes. But first I want to kind of have you journey with me what we've done so far. This may be the first week you've been with us, maybe a guest. Others may not remember every detail of what we talked about, so I want us to kind of know this is a journey, a pilgrimage from the beginning to the resurrection. I want to be part of that. So we begin the first week of the series uh, spending some time at the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. I'm going to show you a picture of that. Uh, This is a very special time. It's where actually the, the real life and work of Christ began here at the Jordan River. Here is where, and we're baptizing folks there ourselves, that's us, our group there at the Jordan. Uh, and he, he, at this time, John the Baptist said, as he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, at that same time, uh, the Spirit of God fell upon Jesus Christ as the form of a dove, we're told. And then God spoke from heaven saying, this is my son, I am pleased with him. And the ministry of Christ began right here. From here, he went to his next stop, which was what we call today the Mount of Temptation. I'll show, show you a picture of that. Uh, so the very next thing, he goes here, or we think this is the area he was at, and that's a monastery there on the mountain. There's a cave inside. Some folks think maybe he spent the night there. And he spent 40 days not eating, Seeking God, preparing for the, his life of mission, ministry into the world. It's here he faced the devil, three temptations. He overcame each one, quoting scripture. From here, uh, uh, he went out into the world, and, and now is where we begin today. So, again, Jordan River, uh, his baptism, the Holy Spirit, God said, This is my son. The Mount of Temptation facing evil, sin, and the devil overcoming that temptation and then going into the world. And what comes next is where we are today at the Jesus at the Mount of Beatitudes. We can take that picture off now. Uh, at the Mount of Beatitudes, there are many things that happens. Uh, we know that from the temptation, he went and called his disciples. It's the First thing he did he picked some people to follow him. Uh, you know some of the names of those people, Peter, James, John, Matthew, others, come follow me. Uh, from there, he worked a lot of miracles. Immediately, that's what he did. He, he found people who were ill, uh, uh, broken, damaged by life, all kinds of ways, filled with, filled with demons, you know, crippled, blind, deaf, and he healed them. He worked miracles uh, for the poor and hurting of his world. Uh, and then he goes and does what we call teaches the Sermon on the Mount at a very special place uh, there around the Sea of Galilee. And he teaches several chapters we have recorded of those, of those words. I'm going to go through some of them right now, but I want you to see the video first of where he was. It's a great images. We were there again just a few weeks ago. Uh, and show the video, please. Here it comes. And we're, we're there while this is happening. And that's the Sea of Galilee, as you might note. Hills all around. This is called the Mount of Beatitudes, where he taught the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe what he saw, only there were thousands of people there listening to what he was teaching. And this is kind of the images where he was, uh, that season, that place. And we're going to go from here seeing the mountain and the sea and the expanses there to a church that's built there called the Church of the Beatitudes. Uh, church of the Beatitudes, many go to worship there in and out and a beautiful building, very small, right in the middle of that mountaintop, right by the Sea of Galilee. We're going inside there. And, I, and the part I like about this the best is not all the ornate pictures here, it's that. It's a, the Aramaic reading of the Beatitudes there, uh, maybe in the language that Jesus spoke uh, there in that moment. So that's pretty special as well. And there's that, there's that image you see uh, of that mountain. This set at the stage of Jesus' ministry. Get it again. God said, my son, baptism, the spirit, facing evil, the devil, temptation, calling his disciples, working some miracles, and now he teaches a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of people around the Sea of Galilee who come to hear him because he worked the miracles and they want to see this fellow, what he's got to say to us. And he teaches things about the kingdom of God. They'll set the stage for his ministry and remind you again of the world during the time of Jesus Christ. It was not as peaceful as that picture looks. There was a moment of peace, of the calmness. The crowds came to hear him. He taught for a lengthy amount of time, maybe days, maybe weeks. We don't know how long it was. These are some excerpts of what he taught that we have in Scripture, in the book of Matthew especially, so we know that. But around this area, uh, we have not only do we have a lot of very poor Galilean Jews, everywhere you want to look, they're there, we have some wealthy ones as well, folks who come up from Jerusalem, we have religious leaders, uh, uh, Jewish leaders, uh, rabbis, teachers, along with many, many crowds of people. Uh, around this area as well, there would be cities not only where where Jews lived, but also be Roman cities. Rome that occupied this land at this time, uh, there were many Romans everywhere, uh, and Roman soldiers, Roman leaders, Roman politicians, uh, and they would come here. Uh, And they had their own cities built uh, amidst the cities of the Jews that had been there for hundreds of years. And often Jews worked in the Roman cities. We know from his history that the Jews in this area were typically very, very poor, very impoverished for lots of reasons. The Romans were not. A Roman soldier lived a higher quality life uh, than uh, some of the, the best, uh, best uh, of the uh, economic status Jews in this same area. Uh, a Roman soldier would have his Roman baths and a nice place to live and would even might even have servants. It was that kind of world they lived in. and So you imagine the feelings that Jews had about uh, the Romans and Romans had about them and the chaos of the world be soldiers, uh, there would be poor, they'd be rich, and there also was a thoroughfare throughout this area for really put almost all the known world. Lots of reasons for that. Uh, Israel was a buffer between uh, the East and the South uh, for the Roman Empire. It was a very important part of the Roman world. Uh, many soldiers were stationed here for that reason. Uh, they had uh, uh, people who came from all over the world to do pilgrimage to Jerusalem because the temple was there. They would pass this way down uh, the road by the Jordan River through the Jericho Road into Jerusalem. And they'd come the other way as well, bringing all kinds of products and uh, economic uh, strength to the community because of that reason. And these products would be ty- typically either come from Africa uh, or they'd be uh, products that were grown like persimmon oil in this part of the world. Now I've told this before, but, I, but you need to know what's going on if you make a connection with what's happening with Jesus and how we connect today. Now, the world was, as I've described, chaos, whirlwind, crazy, broken, cultural wars, political wars, economic wars, religious wars, were all happening everywhere, and that's the world that God drops Jesus into. Jordan River, the temptation, call of his disciples, and now we have the teaching. The amazing teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount from the Mount of Beatitudes that you saw and the words that really define the Christian faith. I grew up, uh, as many of you here did, uh, if you didn't grow up in this season, you have, you have knowledge of it, uh, maybe studied it, uh, maybe heard about your parents talk about it. But uh, I grew up in the 60s. Uh, during that season of, of, the, of life for me, uh, I grew up uh, in, the, with the, in the Cold War. Cold War was very real. We were very well aware of, as kids of the Cold War. We would have times that we would be told, hide under your desk, uh, put your head on the floor, put your, put your arms uh, behind your neck, and prepare us in case there's a nuclear attack. We'd have this all the time. On military bases that my father was stationed, it was very common there, uh, our home actually had stores of food in case of nuclear attack by the Russians. That was part of my growing up experience, normal for me. You know, so I'm trying to compare my world to this world, your world to this world, and it's not that big of a difference. Also grew up, came uh, of age during the Vietnam War. Uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, not only did we hear about it every day on the news, every day on the news, uh, every newspaper article, would, every newspaper would have on the front page, Body counts. You would see by that how many Vietnam, how many NVA were killed, uh, how many Viet Cong were killed, and how many Americans were killed. And they would often name the Americans. That was every day in my age coming, in my my age, uh, my coming of age as a young man. Uh, I was one of those, like many my age, who had a draft number. That came to me as well. We all had the thought that, hey, we'll be going to Vietnam when we're 18. Senior year of high school, you go down there and get that and say, hope your number's a good one or bad one, whatever you wanted. And uh, and that's kind of the story. And I joined, end up joining the Navy during that season of the world. And also we have the 60s. You know about the 60s? Talk about religious and cultural chaos. Uh, talk about uh, drugs and talk about uh, uh, religion beginning to collapse in many ways, talking about uh, free love and all the values that uh, the world had held on to for a long time were pretty much dissolving very rapidly. Again, that's a story of the world that I grew up in. Many of you grew up with me, right? You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if if you're familiar with anything that I just said, okay? Uh, Raise your hand if you heard about it. Uh, well, you've heard about it as part of American history. Uh, so I'm making a comparison between my world I grew up in, and you know your world, it's not that much different, is it? You have your own story to tell, we all have that story, uh, with the world of, that Jesus came into. Jesus is still in the world today. Now, when I was 20 years old, I came to faith in Christ, a- and I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I, he- I heard these words in Matthew, where verse 19 of chapter 4 says, follow me. I said, okay, I'm going to follow you. Because when I became a Christian, the first thing I read as a 20-year-old young man was the book of Matthew. I opened it up and began, I never had read it before. Never paid any attention to it. Never thought about these being the words of Jesus, who I said, I want to follow you, Lord. And I had done that. And here are the words that came in this time. And here are some of the things that the Sermon on the Mount said to me in 1973 that I read for you today. It says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. I'm reading those words in the middle of the chaos of my own experience, the history I just shared with you, and I began seeing God in a way I'd never seen God before. These words began to apply to my experience in a way they never had before. And I thought, boy, I love this Jesus guy. I love the things he talks about, you know, to me. Don't you love these words? Who wouldn't love these words? He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. He says, love your enemy. He goes on to tell us in these, uh, the, the, the amazing Lord's Prayer, and I'd heard the Lord's prayer throughout my life, but I didn't know that Jesus had anything to do with it. <laughs> it never dawned on me that Jesus went to a mountaintop by the Sea of Galilee after what I've already shared with you today. And crowds stood around him and said, let me tell you this. And he also told his disciples who asked, Jesus, we see you praying and, and we think it's amazing what you do. And, and we don't pray like that. The religious leaders play, pray rote ritual prayers. They go on the street corner and pray for hours on end. We don't know what they're talking about. It means not mean anything to us. We don't understand a bit about it. We don't get it at all, but but you, you're different. How do you pray? Teach us how to pray. And he says, well, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Huh? We can say, pray directly to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and give us our daily bread, forgive us of our sins, and lead us, O Lord, and it's your kingdom. And and how amazing is that? And and we still are directed by those words given on that mountaintop that day 2,000 years ago by Jesus to whoever would listen. He said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. What you have on earth will be lost in heaven. You'll always have. And he says, Don't worry, don't be anxious. Look at the lilies of the field. You saw some of those there in the picture. They don't worry, do they? God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. Instead, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. And then he tells us, verse 24 through 27, uh, the script biblical text for today I'm going to read for you uh, word by word. Please hear this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall for it has been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell. And great was his fall. So are you with me? Jordan River, my beloved son. The temptation, uh, and he overcomes evil in that day. The call of his disciples comes next, and he works miracles of those who are hurting all around in every kind of need they might have. And now he teaches these amazing things, saying, build your life upon the words I tell you, as I love you that much. And there that day, a long time ago, I picked up the Bible and read those words, and my life has never been the same. I believe in Jesus. I said, follow him. But hey, these words encompass my experience ever since. As they do so many of you. If not yet, maybe today. Several things I want to share about this passage and this event and this uh, a great moment, this story that we're talking about that I think need to be lifted up. The first is this teaching on prayer called the Lord's Prayer. There are other things he says as well about prayer, but a lot of his energy goes into teaching about prayer. And I'm going to say this. Prayer is the guts of discipleship. Discipleship is responding to the invitation that Jesus gave me and you, come follow me. Disciple is one who follows Jesus Christ. Prayer is the guts of that discipleship. It cannot be done. It's not possible we will fail continually, be disappointed with ourselves and even God if we don't have a consistent, uh, really structured even, prayer life. And the Lord's Prayer is a piece of that. Not all of it but it's a piece of that and what it means for us. He said in that same idea of prayer, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be open. He said pray from the heart. Not like these religious leaders who go in the street corner and stand and pray for hours on end, quote, memorize prayers that mean nothing to anyone. Repeating over and over again. Instead, pray like this. Just pray to your Heavenly Father. Just pray to the God that you love and who loves you. Just pray according to your need. I need bread and I need forgiveness and I need you to lead me, Lord. Just pray like I do. That's what He's telling them. I want you to have what I have. So when I go to the mountaintop and you wonder what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, lead me. God, bless me. God, may I bless others. God, take care of me as as I know you're faithful to do. It's about building faith. Trust, a loving relationship with a heavenly God, and he teaches us how to do that. So prayer is the guts of it. Uh, If you desire to really be a follower of Christ, to live his way, you better be praying or you'll not be able to do that. Jesus could not, we cannot, so he teaches us that first. So prayer is the guts of discipleship. Secondly, beatitudes. Uh, And that's the core of the Christian life, the beatitudes. Uh, if, If guts of discipleship is prayer, And the core is the Beatitudes, and that's a teaching that I don't always completely understand. It says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. They'll be comforted. Yet God shares those words with you and me, entering our world of chaos that I described growing up, that I described that the world of Jesus' time was in, and you can describe it yourself about your own experience, because the world's always been like that. These are God's light shining in the middle of that saying amazing things to us. Uh, This sense of uh, God's truth given to us. A world about pagan lifestyles on one side, uh, the Pharisees on the other, the average person trapped in between. We have the word saying, blessed are the gentle." Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. In a world where power and privilege got reward, where religious leaders taught if you're poor, you deserved it. I'll say that again. Those Romans on the, on the hillside, power and privilege, you know, they get all the rewards and we're their slaves and servants. And if we're lucky, we have, they, they pay us if we go do something on their house for them. And the religious leaders tell us that we're poor or broken or sick because it's our fault. We deserve it. We're a bunch of sinners or our parents were sinners. And that's what they taught them. They were taught that. And Jesus said just the opposite. Hey, it's the meek who are blessed by God. That's not what the religious leaders tell us. It's those who mourn who are blessed by God. That's not how the Romans believe and how they live, how different it is. And, and it's just the opposite. You know, at the 815 service, something I think amazing happened, very inspirational for me. Very unusual thing for it to happen here, but uh, we had a, a man come in the service just before the sermon. The choir was singing at 815, and he came in on one of these little shopping carts that you drive uh, I'm not sure he purchased it, uh, it came from a Walmart and I think he just headed out the parking lot and somehow he found his way over here and he came down the aisle and went around for a while and finally went over here, we're wondering where he's going and it's during the choir singing and he finally backs it somehow, you can back those things, I don't know if you can back them but he finally backed it back in that corner and stopped right there and you could see there were, he probably had some issues Maybe mental health issues. We didn't know. We found out later that he did, and he came and sat there. And we're in the choir singing. He raises his hands, you know, and he just, he just, you know, not singing, just raising his hands, you know, and looking up to heaven while he's there. And, and there's nobody sitting over here where he is. Uh, people were here and here and here. Nobody there. And I'm sitting up there saying, "Lord, send somebody sitting next to that guy. Just one person. All he needs is one person." And immediately, Tom got up. And now Tom's a Vietnam veteran, was shot at and shot. So I'll get you an idea of who, where Tom comes from. And Tom got up and he walked over there and he sat down next to him. Just put his hand on his shoulder, you know, said or I'm Tom and what's your name? His name is Joseph. And Joseph began to cry. You could see the tears in his eyes when that moment happened. And, and I thought, this sermon on the Mount, Matthew the Beatitudes, that's Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That's how life is formed and shaped. Uh, uh, the, the Romans would have said, Kill him. He's not worth anything. The, G- the Jewish leaders would have said, He deserves what he's got. He's a big sinner. His parents were sinners. That's why he's in the state that he is in. Mm-hmm. And in Christian church, Tom said, Next to him, others did as well. Uh, when the service was over, he had a crowd around him to saying, hi, and how are you doing? And we actually ended up helping him get where he's going to go because it seems like he has to find his way back home and he's not sure where that is. You know, but regardless of that, you know, get a picture of how these words change you and me and how we see and view the world. So the Beatitudes really are the core of those who follow Christ as the Lord's Prayer is the guts of that life. Then we add loving relationships. Number three is the heart of the kingdom of God. And I've said it many times that everything that matters in life comes from a relationship. Uh, In this case, between us and God and each other, regardless. There's no parameters for that. Whoever, whatever, however. Joseph, Tom, makes no difference. And here the things are said like this in this same four chapters of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount Don't judge, he says. Love your enemies. What? (laughs) The Jews hated their enemies. Romans hated their enemies. Everybody hated their enemies. That was not a teaching anywhere to love your enemies. Yet Jesus, the one person on earth, the one person in all the planet that God sends through the Jordan River. You heard the story. The Mount of temptation. You heard the story. The call of his disciples. You heard that story. The miracles he worked to anybody and whoever who needed it didn't matter what, whether it was a Roman centurion who he healed a, a, the, the centurion servant, or whether it be the poorest of the poor. And here he comes and love your enemies. He says, turn the other cheek. <laughs> You've heard these terms, I know, haven't you? Uh, they're from Matthew, uh, they're from the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke on the Mount of Beatitudes, words he'd never heard before, and he speaks for the very first time, it's been repeated for, for 2,000 years. Turn the other cheek. He so says, if somebody asks you to carry their stuff for one mile, carry it for two. One of the most hated things for the Jews in this culture was that. These Roman soldiers and leaders who uh, had, had so much more than they had, lived in the nice home, the nice community, the nice hilltop, the new Roman city instead of the, 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 the impoverished Jewish village. That's where they lived. And, and not only that, they could find you wherever they wanted to and in their walking down the road, they could say, I need you to carry my stuff, my pack, my food, my, my spear, uh, my shield, whatever they wanted, you have to carry it for me for one mile. That was a Roman law. <clears throat> they had to do that. And then they find somebody else to carry it the next mile, the next mile, the next mile, and they could go on a whole journey never carrying anything. And Jesus said, if they ask you to carry it one mile, carry it two. What? Carry it two miles? You should be telling us to kill those guys, not carry their packs further. He says, respect and love your spouse. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Did you know that? You know, he didn't say it exactly like that, but what he's saying. Uh, In that culture, in the Roman culture and the Jewish culture, uh, women were considered just next to property. And so in that culture, uh, men could just simply abuse their wives. Uh, They could make their wives slaves. They could toss their wives aside. And we're told that they did that. We're told that Jewish leaders and Jewish people did that. And their wives, when that happened, were often left helpless. They were left impoverished. They were left left to live lives Less than you would want for them. They were left to be broken and hurting, might even starve. He says, Stop it. Respect and love your spouse. He says, Don't be angry with your brother. You know, and and, and that idea is not just my real brother, but anyone. And give to the poor. Give to the poor. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I, I shared my story and the story of that time so you could really get an understanding of the significance of this, this God in the world and what he says on this journey that began at the Jordan River and what God said about him and what he's going to do and what his mission was and how we put this together. It makes more sense out of the rest of his life. Understand these things. In the 20s and 30s, there was a, a young man uh, named Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, some may have heard of Bonhoeffer, uh, he's written a number of books, uh, but during the 20s and 30s he, uh, his parents wanted to be a lawyer, a doctor, or something like that, but he decided to be a preacher, which they didn't, weren't happy about that, but he said, I'm going to do it anyway. And he did the traditional route in those years, going to college and then to seminary and being trained in the German world uh, to be a religious leader. In that world, the Bible was insignificant. It was not part of being a religious person. You were taught the traditions of the church, uh, theological, philosophical stuff. There was little faith really involved in anything that they did. And so there was a real disconnect from the church and being a pastor or minister in that world uh, from the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus, our faith or anything you and I would hold dear to our hearts. So be aware of that. And he's moved into the religious world that way because he likes the philosophy of religious stuff and ethics and this thing's fun to him, so he enjoys thinking like that. And then he gets begins to get serious, though, as he begins to research what others had not done, which was, what does the Bible say? And in reading the Bible like Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, he saw, this is Jesus, this Jesus guy is. Should be a big part of my life, but he's not. I have never made that connection. This is the same time that he is doing this and his journey to Christ is when Nazism is rising in Germany. It's when Hitler is coming into power. It's when the Holocaust is being formed in shape. World War II is being formed in shape. One of the most violent, murderous, evil things in history is happening in his world. Heard me describe the world of Jesus' time. A little bit about my upbringing and my, my experience as I was growing up, but nothing like what uh, he, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would experience in his season. And, and, and he began to realize there's more to Jesus. And, and for whatever reason, the church of his world was in lockstep with Nazism. Traditional, non-religious, uh, non-biblically-based church was in lockstep with Nazism. But not Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he read Jesus says something different. And he had a moment where it came to light for him. And when it came to light for him, he changed how he dealt with everything. And and he began to preach this new Christ. He began to preach to the poor. He began to gather the people together and tell them about who Jesus really is. And he began to work outside the traditional church because they didn't want him anymore when he was doing that. We don't care about those people. And he eventually began to oppose Nazism. And finally, he opposed Hitler himself. And finally, three days before World War II ended, he was hung by Hitler in a concentration camp. The story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer very quickly. And so you see the picture of the Sermon on the Mount on the Mount of Beatitudes, you know, coming to life and the journey of Jesus Christ himself to a cross, the journey of Dietrich Bonhoeffer to being hung for Christ's sake, the journey of, of, uh, you know, Tom, from right there, walking around this way and up here and down through here and sitting next to uh, Joseph in his little electric park that he kind of wandered around the church for a while until he finally lit on a spot. He could find a place to park. See, so it all connected. I'm going to show you a picture again of the Beatitude, the Mount of Beatitudes, where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we stood there for a while, went in the church. Uh, I've been a number of times, so because of that, I don't have to listen to the guide quite as much. And so I would stop and, and get a chance to just think about it. And I, I look, looked out this and thought, all the people that might have been there, you know, 2,000 years ago, as this amazing God taught these amazing things that have shaped so many of us, shaped so many of our own experiences, have given us light and hope in the midst of the chaos of our journey, as it did for Bonhoeffer, as it did for Tom, you know, and Joseph, as it, as it, as it does for, for all of us still today. Amazing words. On the way to the Holy Land, the day before we got on the plane, the night before, I sent everybody a note. Uh, 63 folks going together with us to the, to the, on this journey. Uh, and I've been before, so I know how it works. Uh, it's what's called a pilgrimage, which I explained. this is not a, this is not a tourist thing. This is a pilgrimage. So uh, I want you to be aware it's not going to be easy. Uh, I know how long plane rides are airport stays are, going through check-ins and security is. Uh, I know how getting on and off of buses and in and out of hotels, carrying your baggage and luggage and going with a large, I know what it's like. And it's, you know, it's kind of tiresome. This can be tire, tiring, it can make you weary, it can make you irritable. How many know that? And so I let them know, and I'm going to paraphrase what I said, on this journey, this, on this pilgrimage, would you act like Christians? Basically, what make sure you act like Christians. We're going to Jerusalem, act like you're a Christian while you're there. Because we're sometimes tempted not to do that. <laughs> because we're tired. The food is not what we might expect. Or we have to spend too much time on a bus, whatever the reason. You know, that's how pilgrimages are. And, and I think that life is, all of life is a pilgrimage to see Christ face to face in heaven one day. And so I think what Jesus is saying in these four chapters is, act like Christians because that's part of this. That's part of this. Matthew 5:48, I think is a defining verse in the Sermon on the Mount. He spoke from the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, I'm going over time, but uh, I'm almost done. Can you, uh, vote, give me, give me two more minutes, raise your hand, please. Thank you. Those who didn't vote, Hey, I won't hold it against you. Thou shalt not judge. Turn the other cheek. Whatever I got to do. I'll carry your pack two miles if you need it. In a word, what I'm saying, this is the Message Bible translation. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you give us. We sure do appreciate them. What would we be without? The light you shine upon us. In the grace of a Savior, in the holiness of a life taught to live a special way. In your presence, God with us. May be so, God, always. In Jesus' name, amen.